Happy Self-Care Sunday, folks. This is your host, Sophia Nelson, and it's a beautiful October morning here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. I hope it's lovely where you are, too. Today, I have a great guest. I have with me uh, someone who really understands the unique connection between our physical health and our emotional health, our wellness. And obviously, that's something that we talk about a lot on this podcast, but it's Hispanic Heritage Month, and I wanted to have on someone who uh, represents all the greatness of the Hispanic culture and the success and um, the joy and the passion and uh, the contribution of that culture to our great American story. And I had a chance to meet uh, Dr. Uh, Vasquez Morgan when I was speaking down at Louisiana State University's Health Sciences Center in Shreveport uh, this past summer. Uh, I loved her. I thought she was great. She interviewed me for my master class that I did with the doctors and the medical staff and the university staff there. It was exciting. She's exciting. You're going to love this conversation. Um, We talk about the parts of being well, uh, the ins and the outs, but the nuance for us as people of color. This message, of course, is for everybody who's listening because we're all human beings, but I want to emphasize uh, we talk a lot about health disparities for people of color and how we should deal with those. Stay tuned. It's a good one. Have a great week. Greetings, everybody. This is your host, Sophia Nelson, and happy Self-Care Sunday. You know I love Sundays because we get to be together. Today on the Be the One You Need podcast, we have a great guest for you. We have Dr. Marie Vasquez Morgan, and she is the Assistant Vice Chancellor of Institutional Wellness at Louisiana State University's Health Shreveport. I had a chance to meet Marie recently when I was on the book tour and sit with her, and she interviewed me as I did my master class there and it was fabulous. Marie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sophia. Good to be here. It's great to have you. Uh, We had, of course, one of your colleagues on, Dr. Marquis Pierre, who's the vice chancellor uh, there. And uh, I'm so excited that we've connected through the Sisterhood of Women and uh, just delighted to have you on today. So how are you doing? I'm doing great. Just so excited to be here. Okay, good. So I hear a rumor that you're about to be a grandmom. Is that true? Oh, my God. Yes. In about a month, I'm going to become what they call Lita, which is short for Abuelita. Oh, uh, my, my only daughter is going to have, uh, she and her husband are expecting a child in about a month. So I am like on pins and needles. I have a bag already packed. So I'm ready to roll if needed. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Do, do you know the sex? or you can't Yes, tell? a little boy. A little oh, boy. wonderful. You're going to have a grandson. That's going to be so special. Well, congratulations to you. And I look forward to um, seeing how crazy you go buying a bunch of things and doing all the stuff grandmothers do because I know my mom went berserk when she got the granddaughter so it was uh, funny to watch actually oh, actually it's so. already started yes <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh Marie let me tell you what this is as you know an interesting time here in our country we are two years plus down the road from COVID I think that a lot of people feel like COVID is over and of course it is not And yet, I think that beyond the physical 
that we all dealt with, many of us had COVID once, twice, some more than that. We're dealing now with the emotional. So we've come through the physical and we're still dealing with the manifestations of that. But I really want to talk about um, the mental space that we're in right now. Before I get into you and talking about your journey, just to get your thoughts as a doctor in this area, um, you know, and I know you're a PhD doctor, but talk to us a little bit about what you see as the mental wellness impact of COVID on all of us. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's been a tremendous journey to say the least. Um, you know, with this position, uh, looking at wellness, it really started really prior to COVID when it was going to be a primary focus for us, but then the pandemic hit. And so, you know, we saw all those things that occurred in the general population that you're, you know, you're describing. And because we had to do all these things to stay safe, you know, the social distancing that we had to do, but then the problems that occurred to the people losing their jobs, not able to access, you know, healthcare, we saw lots and lots of poor mental health, increased anxiety, increased depression, um, all these things. And we saw it in all populations, certainly, but then, you know, those are always more vulnerable, like uh, the elderly or children. Uh, that was worse. Uh, we also saw it worse in uh, people of color, uh, mm-hmm. both mental health and physical health, both of those mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. You know, it impacted us in such a way um, that it, it it was all encompassing because we saw it even in our underrepresented minority students, you know, where they had to travel to come to school. So they had higher rates of being impacted from infection and that caused increased anxiety or the fact that uh, because of having to do distance learning, you know, they didn't have digital devices or they didn't have good internet connections. So you have all this anxiety, you know, that's occurring and then, you know, being overworked with the healthcare profession, what we saw there with nursing and physicians and just healthcare providers, that I would tell you in itself was a pandemic on its own because Mm -hmm. we saw burnout rates that were already high, right? In the mid fifties go up to mid sixties because of the amount of volume. So if you think about, you know, the number of healthcare providers, just looking at school students, you know, 40,000 or so nationally or 60,000 or so residents or over a million physicians and other healthcare providers, that burnout on its own as a national epidemic, you know, or, you know, coming from COVID. And then when you couple that with the fact that these people don't want to seek help for poor mental health, because they think they're going to lose their license or they think they're going to, you know, be looked at as weak, then it really becomes a problem. Wow. You know, what you're saying is we're in this kind of for the long haul, we've dealt with the physical and now we're going to have to deal with the emotional, the mental and the spiritual also, I think on some level, right. Of people just being impacted as human beings. Uh, you know, before we go on to, uh, you know, really the the bulk of this podcast where I can get into some good questions uh, with you. Tell us a little bit about who you are. And and more importantly for me, this is a, a Latin Heritage Month uh, here in the United States. And I'm, I'm assuming that might be, I hope, something globally. But I know that it's something that we're celebrating here in the United States, rightfully so. And I'd love to know, um, a little bit about your journey as a woman of color. Uh, I'm an African-American woman. You're a Latina. So I want to know more about your journey and and what that was like uh, being a woman of color in your field, because there's so few of us 
uh, in this area. Tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Um, and, and thank you for asking. Yeah, I'm very happy to be celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. Uh, we've been doing a lot of fun things on our campus as well to celebrate that. Uh, but, you know, for me personally, you know, I was an immigrant. I came with my parents and my brother to this country when I was five. And, you know, it started school without knowing one word of English, which was interesting to say the least. You know, at first, you know, my in first grade, uh, I was the only Latina in an all- uh, African-American school. And, you know, there, there weren't any African-Americans or any people of color in that way in Argentina. So I'd never had seen a, a, a black person. That was very interesting. And then I went from there to the complete opposite, going to an all white school where I was the only Latina there. So, you know, there were some problems at first with communication, with some bullying that I had to um, put up with. But, you know, having a support system at home was important. My mother certainly was that uh, to both my brother and myself, but especially to me. Uh, You know, I had to witness her being physically and emotionally abused by my father, and I was a bit emotionally abused as well. I think it Mm -hmm. might be gender-related, and I don't know if that's just purely the Hispanic heritage about boys doing no wrong, but certainly that's how I felt. It is not, it is not, it is not. (laughs) Okay, good to know. I'm in good company then. No, it's in the black community. It's in the Italian community. It's in the Jewish community. It's in the white community. Boys are superior to girls, particularly when we were coming up for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was difficult, you know? And so, you know, by the time that they divorced, I was about 12, you know, it couldn't come a moment too soon. Um, But, you know, then having my mom being a sole parent was difficult. I mean, she was extremely strong, extremely, you know, resilient. Uh, Obviously, she took the challenge of, you know, divorcing in a country where she didn't really know the culture, didn't really speak the language. And now she was parenting, you know, both my brother and myself. But, you know, that that taught me a lot. So it taught me, you know, that I don't have to be a victim. I have to know my self-worth. And for me, it taught me what I didn't want my future to look like. You know, I know that I had to forge a different path and be independent and not be treated that way. And so, you know, it's difficult being, a, as you all know, being a first generation student has its own challenges. Uh, but she assisted me with that and I persevered and that's when I, I earned my my degrees. You know, I have a, a degree, a bachelor's in psychology and one in physical therapy. Um, and then I wanted to be an educator. So I got a master's in health science education and then my PhD in health studies and wellness. And that latter uh, part, um, you know, I, I completed while divorcing myself and having a two-year-old daughter and I wanted her to know, like my mom let me know, you know, that you don't have to put up with being treated a way that you shouldn't be treated and that education is the way out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how I came about as far as my education. So, you know, I'm a physical therapist by trade, right? And my then moving toward wellness came about rather organically is, you know, being a practice practicing therapist for all those years, I saw the health disparities that existed uh, in, you know, in our communities and people of color here in Louisiana. And so I saw how obesity and being sedentary, not moving around and poor nutrition could lead to like heart disease and diabetes and 
the early death that we see. Um, but I also saw the positive, you know, that if I could educate them on these things, on better nutrition and physical activity and self-care, I could improve uh, their wellness. And that was a win-win for me. So, um, you know, to round it out, I would tell you that I'm very blessed. I'm very blessed because there are people that don't have those opportunities. And being foreign-born, I'm telling you that I can't speak enough about the United States, of what it's enabled me to do. You know, so here, this little girl who didn't know the language now edits other people's manuscripts, right? It's just come full circle for me. And to be a, a woman of color and to, to be, I would tell you that my proudest moment probably has been so far being named as an endowed professor. Uh, you know, that that's an honor onto its own, much less being a female, number one, and then being a female of color. Well, you said a lot there. And um, first of all, thanks for sharing your journey, because I think our stories, particularly when we were little girls of color who grew up to be young women of color, and now we are full-grown, seasoned, professional women uh, in the middle of our lives. And I think that it's powerful to share our stories because it inspires other little girls who still don't see a lot of people who look like them in the medical profession for you in the legal profession for me. And so I thank you for being the role model you are and what you do, because I think it matters. And, and I hope that uh, the world gets to know more about your story, which is why we have you on today. Um, the next thing I want to ask you is kind of a real simple question, because I probably should have started with this, but what is wellness, Marie? What does that even mean? Define that for us if you can. Sure. Uh, and it's all encompassing, I would tell you. And it was it's much easier for me to tell you about physical therapy, because many times that's not as preventative. Right. I mean, so is a is a PT, you hurt your knee, you come to me or you've had a stroke and you come to me. You know, wellness is the preventative piece. You know, what is it that we can do in our life currently on a daily basis that can impact our physical health, that can help us with our emotional health? How can we promote our social well-being, our social health? You know, with my uh, program, we even look at financial wellness because mm -hmm. uh, no one teaches us how to do that. And many Made times that comes into play, right? Yeah. I was because just on a town hall, uh, Marie, for Congressional Black Caucus weekend last week about that the black women's uh alliance they are they've been around for i think it was 45 years they celebrated started by shirley chisholm right wow so uh we had this panel on financial wellness for african-american women and uh, one of the things i talked about and discovered much to my chagrin and disbelief is how many of us are professionals marie and don't have wills we don't have our 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 planning done we don't have basic life insurance we don't have things that uh long-term care plans and things that if we get sick what happens to us our communities are still far behind. Black and Latina, Latin communities are definitely struggling with this. So thank you for mentioning financial literacy. Oh, of course. And, you know, that's because we we live, uh, many people of color live in present day. You know, they're not looking at preventative. They're not looking at how do I save money from my paycheck. They need to put, you know, food on the table on a daily basis. 
And so that's a struggle. And so that's another aspect of wellness. I think it's very, very important for us to be able to focus on. Uh, But so it really is all encompassing. You know, it's certainly, of course, I think the things that we know most is our physical and emotional wellness. But like I said, there's also many other aspects, uh, whether it's you know, uh, workplace wellness, which I'm trying to do on campus, uh, because we have to bolster that as well. Uh, or like you said, spiritual wellness, social well-being. I mean, all of it comes together and all of it can impact us either negatively, right, or positively, depending on what we're doing. Yeah, I think that's good. So so tell us a little bit about uh, Louisiana State University Health Sciences there at Shreveport. And what do you do under your umbrella, in your office, in your department, uh, to help people stay and be well? Because as you talked about a little bit about obesity, and particularly in communities of color and the Black and Hispanic communities are probably the worst at this with diabetes, uh, the way we eat, right? We like food. We like carby food. We like good food and we like lots of it. Uh, it's part of our culture to be social around our food and to drink and to do those things. But talk to me a little bit about what you do there at LSU HS. And then uh, more importantly, you know, under your umbrella, how do you help people stay and be well? Because I think there's two parts to that. Right. And so thank you. Yeah, there's no doubt. Number one, again, because of COVID, we were looking to try and address the emotional component that we were seeing, that poor mental health or the burnout. Uh, So we know that that was very detrimental, both on campus, uh, but also in the communities that we serve. And, you know, we're a safety net hospital at LSUHS. So we treat thousands and thousands of individuals that come to us with both physical and emotionally vulnerable states. But how do we treat them adequately when we're dealing with some of those same things, when we're vulnerable ourselves? So as an office, we understood the need that we had to start bolstering uh, resilience on our campus uh, and, and in our communities as well. And as you've mentioned very eloquently in your books, this is something that is partly innate, but partly something that we can develop over time, which is so important for people to know. You know, and that's that part, that self-care is part of that process that assists us with our resiliency. You know, taking care of ourselves physically, taking care of ourselves emotionally will really help us counteract those daily stressors that we face, whether that's in the community, because of things that are going on in the family, or because you lack a job or at work. You know, any type of stress reduction or resiliency building can really assist us. And we do things uh, on campus, uh, like meditation and mindfulness and education on proper nutrition. I do uh, lots of physical activity where I have classes, whether they're virtual or in person. We, we created walking paths for people to be able to use to get you know, daily activity in and make it easier. Um, and I always tell people, you know, they said, well, stress that bad. Well, you know, on the short term, Sophia, I would tell you that it's not. You know, stress and challenges can help us in many ways. But when those challenges become long term, that's when we get into trouble. Because mm-hmm. when, when they're long term, then they're going to increase 
something called cortisol, which is our stress hormone. And that can lead to us to have high blood pressure and diabetes and insomnia, uh, weight gain, all the negative things that can cause things like heart disease and stroke. Uh, so I tell people that's why we have to address the stressors in our life. You know, so what do we do? Well, again, we, we provide both in the community and on campus, screenings, health screenings. You know, do you, do you know what your numbers are? That's vitally important. Do you know what your blood pressure runs? Do you know what your blood sugar is like? Um, do you even know what cholesterol is and how to get it down? Even simple things like label reading is very important. We try and promote physical activity. Um, and beyond that, you know, we try and promote a safe environment, you know, for people to be able to to let us know how they feel, what are their fears. We try and create some type of peer support program to have a culture of sharing and inclusivity. And for me, uh, equally as important as an associate professor, you know, really doing research in this area is vital uh, because we have to have things that are um, put forth through data that we collect. So it's got to be data driven. And so we continue to do research in this area to see how we can be, you know, most impactful. Yeah, I mean, Folks, I hope you're paying attention, and particularly those of you who live in the state of Louisiana, and if you're in Shreveport, even more importantly, um, and you're utilizing the services. Um, one of the things you said uh, strikes me as very important, because I've seen this happen in Philadelphia and in other cities where you have hospitals like yours that uh, serve underserved populations, right, uh, mostly communities of color, minority communities, where they deal with a whole lot. And uh, it puts a stressor on the staff and the doctors and the nurses and the, the, the physical therapists and your whole teams that's very different from where I live in very wealthy northern Virginia, you know, where we've got these trauma one centers and we've got these really beautiful facilities with a lot of wealthy people and not with the health industry traumas, et cetera, that you're dealing with daily. I mean, it, it, it's, I think Marie, what bothers me, frustrates me, I guess is a better way to put it is it seems like no matter what we do as black people and, and Hispanic people and other people of color, it's always with us, right? It always has a more deleterious impact on us than any other group, no matter yes. what we do. It, it's, it's frustrating. It is frustrating. And I tell you, but that's why it's even more important to be able to put in practice preventative measures. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because it's going to occur. Many times you can't change the stressors in your life. There are some yeah. things that are going to be challenges that you cannot change. Yeah. Right. You got to deal with them. Absolutely. But the mm -hmm. way you deal with them can make an impact. And that, I think that that is a vital importance because sometimes you know, we, we can't change the circumstances that we're in, but there are things that we can do to bet, you know, to build better resilience, to be able to take those challenges on. Uh, and I think that as people of color, we have to understand that. Put a pin in that, as Oprah would say, that's a tweetable, that's an aha moment there. That's good. So as we wind this down in the last 10 minutes, talk to me about, let's move into that, the what, what is the preventative, right? So give us three tips for practicing good physical wellness and how we have that emotional wellness balance at the same time. The floor is yours. 
take the time you need. I'm all ears. I'm taking notes. Three tips <laughs> on how we get better physically, particularly again, we're talking more to audiences of color. This is good for everybody because we're all human beings. But again, this is Hispanic Heritage Month. I wanted to emphasize that on this podcast, have you on to talk about this, your story a little bit. So, so we're all ears. Go for it. Uh, well, I, I would tell you the first thing that can really help is to take baby steps into your health or wellness. Okay. So for me as a clinician, that means meeting people where they are. Right. But as an individual, if you are trying to get healthier, you have to make small changes. That's why I mean by baby steps, because small changes or small things that are easy to implement daily. Okay. If you do those things, then you have a much greater chance to make those changes sustainable and make an impact on your health. And I'll give you an example. The CDC tells us for physical activity, we have to get about 150 minutes of physical activity in a week of moderate exercise, right? Which means on a zero to 10 scale where zero is laying down or sitting and, and 10 is going on a sprint, it's about a five, okay? How many of us do that? I would tell you in people of color, probably less than 25% mm. of people of color are getting that type of activity in because we're doing everything else and being stressed on top of it. So does that mean that we just and give up? And eating on top of it. Oh yeah, eating no, don't even get me started. sedentary. It's yeah, awful. Yeah. Uh, it, so that just compounds a problem, mm -hmm. right? Because I always say you can't outrun your fork. <laughs> That's yeah. a, that is so true. Okay. That's good. Especially as, a, you know, as we get older, you certainly cannot outrun your fork. But that being said, I tell my patients and I tell the people in the community, physical activity doesn't have to happen in a gym. All the research now tells us we can get in five minutes at a time, and that's called incidental activity. Okay, so I tell my patients, what do you do on a daily basis? Well, I go to Walmart. Okay, well, when you go to Walmart, don't go around in the car 100 times to find the closest space. Park further away, you'll get more steps in. Don't take the elevator when you're at this, you know, your building where you work. Take the stairs. That counts. For my patients that are very honest and they tell me, I really like Netflix. That's great. Okay. Netflix, not some, not a lot of commercial breaks, but on my patients that watch regular TV, I tell them, you know, when you're during the commercials, stand up, do sit to stands, march in place. All these things can lead up to very positive impacts on our heart health. So this incidental activity can really make a large, large uh, difference. You talk about nutrition, you know, again, start with label reading. I tell them a very simple thing. Look at the label. Look at the carb to fiber ratio. If it's more than one to five, it's going to spike your blood sugar and make you gain weight. Okay. Just like people think that fruit juice is something that's healthy for you. It's worse than a Coke, except for the vitamins because of the amount of sugar in fruit juice. Okay. I always say, eat your fruit. Don't drink it for that reason. There are very simple things that we can do like that, that can make an impact. You know, as far as our mental health, you know, there are tons of apps. We all have smartphones. We can do meditation and we can do things like being grateful and journaling. But again, where do we find the time? So I tell my patients, you know, there's something called habit stacking, where we take a current habit and we just add something to it in order to promote sustainable changes. So again, when you first wake up and you're making your morning coffee, you can do a short meditation there. Or after sitting down to have dinner, you can say with your family something you're grateful for that day. 
or maybe, you know, when you go to bed, that we all have a little bit of time before we go to sleep. Maybe you can do five minutes of journaling there. Um, so again, there are a lot of things that we can do on a small scale that can make a large impact. Even with sleep, Sophia, we can add just 10 minutes a day to our sleep, to go to bed earlier or to get off blue devices earlier to make an impact on our sleep health. So you know, Marie, I'm- put, put a pin in that for a moment. Ariana Huffington, um, who, uh, of course, is big on the whole sleep thing with her movement Thrive, if you haven't heard of it check it out. I would love to get her down there to talk with you guys because she's amazing. And uh, she is really big on the sleep thing, but she has a new product coming out that they're going to start with kids. And it may sound funny, but this is real. They're going to actually create these little beds that you can put your phone in and and put the covers over. (laughs) Like I swear to God, she told us this at the Sherm conference in Louisiana, in New Orleans in the summer. And she said they're going to create this to teach kids because, of course, they've grown up with these devices in a way that you and I didn't have them when we were kids. They didn't exist. And they need to learn that it's time to go to bed and that your device doesn't go to bed with you. It goes to its own bed. And it's and it's a psychological connector, right, to say, oh, my phone needs to go down now and then I need to go down separately. And I think it's kind of scary that we have to do something like that. But she actually talked about them creating something like that. And I think some adults probably need that, too. Some adults? Most adults (laughs) need that. That little bed. I I learned the same thing. I just finished the digital wellness course uh, and got certification in it. And it was one of the things that we said. I mean, if you have a hard time, that's what you need to do. You do not need to have any kind of blue light next to you. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. And, you know, we, we've seen a lot of things with kids and it's actually changing their brain. I mean, it's, absolutely. it's very that's a whole other hour. I mean, that's yeah, just- we'll, we'll have you on to talk about that again, because I, I want to uh, really spend some time. I'm a big Sanjay Gupta fan, you know, because I'm on CNN and, yes. and he is as well. And he has an amazing book out about the brain. And I've been reading Bruce Perry and Oprah's What Happened to You, which is about trauma and the brain. And so I would love to have you back to talk about that. But I'm sorry to interrupt. You were getting on to your next point about how to practice good physical wellness and emotional wellness. You gave us two really good ones. What's the third one? Well, I would tell you that social support is really important. Mm. You know, it, it provides physical health. You know, studies show us that if you have a support system, it can lower blood pressure. It can Amen. boost your immune system. Okay. For mental health, it can, you know, decrease anxiety and decrease depression. And, you know, this is especially important as we grow older and we have yeah. friends that pass or family members that pass and you see the isolation that occurs. And as far as wellness overall, even with physical wellness, you know, having a social support, a person and accountability partner goes a long way to make those changes sustainable as well. I mean, you never, uh, you've never worked out more than when you had a partner that said, okay, what time are we meeting at the gym? And we, and we get it. Or what time are we walking outside during lunch? I mean, because that's something that assists us as well. It, it, it helps us with accountability. It helps us with resilience. So I would tell uh, individuals that garnering social support is equally important. That's part of social wellness. You know, I'm going to extend this another five minutes because I think this is important. And I think you hit on something uh, critical, which I talk about in the woman code, which is know your front row. Right. In other words, who do you have around you in your life that 
that that really speaks positivity into you, that supports you, that encourages you, that's there for you, that loves you, that likes you. You know, we spend a lot of time in our culture talking about haters and, you know, the haters did this and the haters did that. And, you know, this person didn't do this right. Or, you know, I keep to myself. There are some people, Marie, that walk around and act like being isolated is this badge of courage and it is not uh you building walls is not a healthy thing am i right like people <laughs> matters right How absolutely no it, it's just the opposite it actually shows weakness yeah. uh, because being vulnerable is something that it takes a strong person to do so mm-hmm. but again you know you and i can have an opinion all day long but you cannot argue against research and what it shows i mean of what having a good support system does for a person. And that's why, you know, again, we, we have these uh, individuals that are elderly that are now in their home by themselves and we see what happens and how death comes much more quickly because of it. So social wellness and having a social support system, having that front row, and I love that. I say that all the time now. It's <laughs> so important to help us maintain our health. You know, um, kind of to just put a pin in that, folks, I think what we're both saying is, And I think COVID really uh, ripped the covers off of this, for lack of a better way to put it, that uh, so many people were by themselves, Marie, during COVID. They were shut in by themselves. They didn't have uh, neighborhoods. They didn't have neighbors. They didn't have um, or families that could get to them or they didn't have families. Um, I don't think we talk enough in this country about singleness. Uh, One in five one in five American adults is single and that number's climbing. You see it on college campuses where the numbers are lopsided with females 60-40 at HBCUs 80-20. Males are kind of dropping out. People are having a harder time with relationships, right? And and, and starting later having families and all of these things. We live very differently now. So singleness is actually a really big thing. And people not having those support systems that they did again when you and I grew up where grandma or aunties and uncles and everybody lived like either near you or right. They lived in your house or in, you know, in, in, in the nuclear family that's changed. And talk a little bit about again, I'm going to extend this out, guys, because this is worth it. Um, talk a little bit about, Marie, how that's changing us in terms of our wellness, uh, the fact that we're living alone more or we're more isolated more um and 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 maybe how we can try to work on that a little bit yeah and you know the the if the if there was going to be an experiment to look t- to see if that was true i mean covid covid did it right i mean the amount of social distancing that we had to do the the fact that we couldn't get together with family or loved ones and then the amount of poor mental health that occurred i mean i'm still seeing long haul covid patients in my clinic for physical manifestations, but the the emotional ones that we still see are going to be way beyond the pandemic, way beyond the pandemic. And so we know that that this is a problem. And so the the good thing about technology is that we are able to now at least virtually connect with people. I mean, thank God for WhatsApp, because I have friends in the UK that I would go broke if I had to call them all the time. And I have family <laughs> members, right, in Argentina that, that I'm able to do this and it's free. And we have FaceTime and we have these technologies that at least allow us to do it virtually 
if not anything else. But for for you know the elderly population that uh, that I treat, you know, I tell them, okay, it has to have value to you. So if you do not have a spouse anymore, if you don't have family members that are close anymore, then you need to get back out into that community and volunteer. You know, mm-hmm. go to a public library, join a fitness group. You know, there's a lot a of church. Absolutely. A church gives you so much more, yes. right? Besides mm-hmm. the social component, the spiritual mm-hmm. component of wellness, that uh, that also there's tons of studies that looks at what it does to blood pressure and the immune system. So there are ways for us to do that, even if we don't have family close, but we have to make it a priority. And I have to tell you, I thank you for this, Sophia, because, you know, once you came to LSU and I read your, your books, it just nailed for me that I wasn't crazy all this time, <laughs> right? That we, because you know, what I hear all the time is, I, I just don't have time. I just don't have time because we're all so inundated, okay? But I would tell you that is a fallacy, okay? You have to make social wellness, physical wellness, emotional wellness, the self-care a priority, okay? We all have five minutes a day that we can get healthier in all these ways. But it, it has to become a priority, okay? We we have to be for this. We owe ourselves this, okay? We all have constraints. We all have demanding schedules. We all have multiple competing priorities, right? But we all have this responsibility for self-care, okay? So we have to do this in order to move forward as people of color, to move forward and be healthier uh, and be healthier for the people that we love. As you well know, we have a lot of people that we take care of as well. Yeah, you know, I'm going to wrap it with this. You know, my best friend uh, lost her brother uh, who's younger than her. He just was 56. Uh, very attractive, very accomplished um, father, grandfather, pastor in Michigan. They got a call. Uh, they were at an event in Orlando where she was getting an award and they got a call that her brother was in the ICU and the doctor's like, you guys need to get here now. She and her mother took one plane. The rest of the family was behind. They got there long enough to say goodbye and he passed away. This was very sudden, very unexpected and otherwise healthy man, you know, just left and TJ said something on our group text the other day that it's been plaguing my mind and it's really stopped me where she was thanking us all for the flowers and the cards and all the love. But she said, you know, losing my brother like this taught me that all the moving around I do, all the busy I do, all the time I don't make is foolishness. And I need to spend my life being deliberate about the choices that I make to choose joy, to choose friendship, to choose family, right, over things. And then she said something that was the showstopper when she said, we will all die. That is a fact. So don't fear death, prepare for death. And I thought, wow, that's deep. Because that's layered in the sense of how are you living? Are you living? Are you spending that time with your kids, with your grandkids, with your family, with your friends, with your pets, with your peers? Are you enjoying some of this beautiful thing called life? Are you exploring this earth? And I think, Marie, so many of us are just on 10 all the time and we're not living. So uh, I really learned a lot from my best friend in this moment of grief where she really it, it made her stop, which is what COVID did for me, which is why I wrote the book. 
it made me stop and pause and say, how am I living? Am I living or am I just doing stuff? I don't know. I'll give you the last word on that. No, I, I, I more than agree. It's, a, it's either you're living or you're surviving. And, you know, the one thing in life that we have no control over, the one commodity is time. Amen. So how we utilize that time, uh, as I grow older, I think about that a great deal. You know, I, I think about my daughter. I think about my soon-to-come grandson. I think about the people that I love. And how is it that I can be more valuable but also, how is it that I can spend more time, get more joy? Because you don't know when you blink and that time will be gone. Nope. And you don't know when you're leaving and how. That's the thing about death. And and again, we can't sit around dwelling on it because it is inevitable. We can prepare. We can do wills. We can do trust. We can do estates. But I think what we're saying to you folks to end this wonderful, amazing podcast, and we will have Dr. Morgan back, is that... We're telling you to start thinking about how you're living and to do it in a way that creates wellness and some peace and some good health and some joy and some connectivity and relational uh, connections versus transactional connections. Right, Doc? So it's it's about how we live. And so I'm grateful to you for your time. We ran over a little bit, but you are worth it. I rarely do that, but I'm going to allow it today because I think folks needed to hear you. And I'm going to give you the final word. What, it, what do you want to say to folks as we end this podcast about wellness and living? Anything you want to leave us with? Uh, well, number one, thank you so much for having me on, Sophia. It's always a pleasure. And I would tell you the last thing I would say to everyone listening, it is never too late. If you think that it's too late, I could, I could tell you, I could show you studies, okay, that between, you know, mid-40s, we're thinking middle age, all the way to people in their mid-80s that have made changes as far as being more active, just moving more, forget, forget exercise, eating better, right? It can reduce your, your death risk up to 80% regardless of your age. So think about your loved ones. Think about your quality of life. And again, make it a priority, but it can start at any age. That's a good last word, folks. Happy Self-Care Sunday and have an amazing week ahead. Dr. Morgan, you've been fantastic. I can't wait for folks to hear this and we will have you back again. Take care. Thanks so much, Sophia. You bet. Bye-bye. Hey folks, it's me. Great episode, right? I told you. Marie is amazing. I like to recap at the end of every uh, episode that we have so that you get the most important points. I think that she laid out the three points really well for you that all of us needs to have if we're going to take care of ourselves. We need to watch how we eat. We need to watch how we sleep. We need to maintain that importance of continuity of our lifestyle habits. We need a good support system. I really loved when she talked about the importance of that human connection. It is not good to be alone. And so many experienced isolation in these last few years. And even now, don't leave your loved ones alone. Check on them. Take them out to walk. Take them to dinner. Engage them, particularly as they age over 50. That's important. And then lastly, 
We talked a little bit about everything from financial literacy and how that impacts your wellness, what you have, what you don't have, the stressors in your life, and how to manage those stressors. And you have to have structures and systems, whether it's journaling, putting the phone down, getting that blue light out of your bedroom at night before you go to bed. She gave you some really good practical tips, even reading the label on the food that you eat to find out how many saturated fats or sugars there are that really aren't good for your health. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Happy Hispanic Heritage Month. We're going to have Marie back again. She's amazing. Have a blessed week. Have a good week. And remember, be the one that you need for you first. Fill your cup first. Take care of you first. Everything good flows from there. Bye-bye now.